the biggest thing for me that I think was really beneficial in my success was my ability to understand where I needed to be in order to grow proportionally with where I was. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Inspired, a show about people who create opportunity for themselves. I'm your host, Jonathan Cohen, and that was MBA agent Daniel Hazan, CEO of Hazan Sports Management. Dan manages and represents clients such as NBA veteran J.R. Smith to this year's number 18 NBA draft pick, Trey Sean Mann of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Dan represents clients all over the world, from the U.S. to Israel to Europe. Dan and I met back in my first year of law school, keeping in touch over the years, a couple impromptu run-ins, and threads of text messages later, we finally got this episode on the books. We talked about his first venture, Java Ads, his exit from the company, and how it opened up the door for his pursuit of a lifelong goal, to become an MBA agent. This was an awesome lens into the behind the scenes of the MBA from an agent's perspective. I had so much fun recording this one, talking business and basketball, and I think you're going to like it too. Please welcome my friend, Daniel Hazan, and stay tuned for after the show. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the show. We are here on another episode of Inside the Inspired with my man, my friend, the famous and infamous Daniel Hazan. How are you, sir? What's up? What's up? What's going on, baby? It's <laughs> been a long time since we got to link up. We were just catching up before the show. I know Dan for a few years now because we met while we were in law school. Yep. Dan is a guy that just defines hard work he's someone that is always on the phone always trying to find the next opportunity always trying to make the people around him better and at the same time that comes at a cost the cost of having a good time a cost of relationships a cost of so many other things but if someone's got their priorities in line i could say it's mr daniel hazan pleasure to have you on the show man welcome appreciate you having man thank you so much been waiting a long time to get on the show so i'm excited that i'm we're finally doing it Dan is a MBA agent, and he's been practicing for a few years now. It wasn't your first venture, though, was it, man? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I actually actually started when I was uh, in college uh, at Yeshiva University. Started my own advertising business. Went on Shark Tank. Um, you know, didn't get an investment, but when I came off the show, got a big investment from the CEO of Dun and Bradstreet, um, and bought me out couple months later and that's how I kind of got started in the world of business. What was that company? What exactly was it? You said it's with ads. It was called Job Ads and the idea was primarily just to put advertisements on disposable coffee cups. So a lot of people, you know, don't, don't go to just Starbucks. They'll go to like bodegas around the New York City area, grab themselves, you know, a classic coffee in like some brown cup with no design on it. And we, we thought it would, it would bring a lot of value if we, were, if we were able to put some sort of advertisement on it. You know, these coffee cups, they go on the subway. People are holding them. They'll sit on their, on their desk for an average of 45 minutes. People are drinking multiple cups of coffee a day. So, you know, you're getting a lot of impressions, a lot of exposure just with this coffee cup. We thought it had a lot of um, intrinsic value. So uh, we, we went and gave it a shot. So after you got bought out of that venture, you started to follow your dreams. Starting a business in college, you have like a crazy immense amount of energy. And 
I kind of had that all taken away from me. So now I'm like, what do I do now? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pursue my dream. I can't play basketball. I'm five foot eight. I'm Jewish. My parents always told me I'll never be able to play basketball because I can't play basketball on the Sabbath. Playing <laughs> ball was was never an option. But the closest thing to 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 being in the basketball world was was being a sports agent. So and being an NBA agent. So so that was my my pursuit. I feel like before we get into this awesome story that you're about to tell, we got to touch on one subject just tangentially. What is it with us nice Jewish boys in basketball, man? Like, I don't know what the thing is. It's just like all our boys can ball. Like maybe one makes it to the NBA, but we all have like the three or four friends that could really, really ball. And we're always playing. And it's like always like a chilling networking thing. But what is it with Jewish boys in basketball, man? (laughs) I don't know. It's crazy. It, It really is like passion for basketball is like, and it's like, you know, what's so crazy. It's like for us growing up, like in the New York tri-state area, it's not like we're like outdoors, like hooping all day. Like it's brick cold, like, and we're still hooping. Like, you know, like put us in like some indoor sport, like, but for some reason we're always just been exposed to basketball and like basketball is just the thing, you know, it's just, it's just the thing. So um, yeah, we're always good at it. Like we think we are, you know, we play in like the Yeshiva leagues and, you know, it's intense and, if you play basketball, you get all the girls like so, you it's know, true. basketball was like the thing, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't so good at it. Same. And, uh, and um, you know, I was a bench warmer, you know, I was the guy that, you know, would come in um, to, you know, when we're down by 50, you know, but I enjoyed it. You and I could bond over that, man. I think collectively between two different high schools, my Total point scored was like five. So Hamza, something like that. See, there yeah, is a yeah, little no. message in that. <laughs> Me too. I, I, you know, I think uh, I remember in seventh grade, my my career average was uh, one point. All right. The season average was one point. I hit, um, I banked in a top of the key jump shot. Um, it was insane. It was so intense that the next day I had to buy donuts for the whole basketball team. to <laughs> Good Which is funny. Because it actually transitions into another way that you talked about or have talked about uh, using just one point being enough, right? I know that when you were reaching out at the inception of your career, you know what? Let's backtrack. How'd you get into becoming an NBA agent, man? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, you know, I was uh, primarily focused on, you know, trying trying to figure this out, trying to get going on this. You know, I didn't have... I was still in college, so I didn't have the degree. Um, I didn't have any experience. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start reaching out to some players on social media. At the time, it was Facebook, so that was the only thing that really existed. So start reaching out to some players on Facebook. I remember I reached out to a player who um, who played in my um, my family's hometown in Naria. So he was like the big man that was playing out there at the time. And uh, reached out to him on Facebook. He answered me back. I was like, God damn, like, is this easy? So I just start, I went through his friends list. And anyone who I saw wearing a basketball jersey, I just messaged them. And some guys were answering me playing Division One basketball. And I'm like, listen, you're playing D1 basketball. You could easily go to the NBA. <laughs> easily. So I started selling some guys. 
signed, I signed a kid from that played at UCF. His name was PJ Gaynor, lefty, six six eight six nine, average about two points a game, but he could hoop. So I was like, this guy is perfect. Got a couple guys on board, and 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 that's how um you know we kind of got going. On that, uh, couldn't really get them anywhere because I didn't have any contacts. Didn't know what I was doing, um, but I was able to. Uh, find a contact um, to a person that was uh, in charge of running a league in a country called Mongolia. Um, you know, most of you might not even know what, where Mongolia is. I thought it was, I thought it was like a chocolate bar, but it's a country in like Asia. And, and I was like the, the rich Paul of Mongolia. So I was bringing in all the imports players. I was getting a commission of like $50 a month from each player. And, and I remember I'd go to Western Union, collected, and these were guys that were going out there to Mongolia, and they were hooping. So they were getting paid $500 a month, $1,000 a month, and that's how I kind of got started. What's going through your mind at these early stages? Like, you just sold the shares in your business. How old are you at this point? So I'm probably about, like, 19 at this point. So wow. I'm super, super young. Um, yeah, 19, coming around on 20. But, um, you know, to be honest, like, when you're, when you're, like, when you're at that age, like, you don't even know what you really want. You don't know what life is. Like, you don't even understand anything. You're just kind of, you know, it's like chicken running around with no head on. So you're just trying to figure things out. You're just, you know, for me, it was just kind of like, this is just an experience, you know? I got time to kill anyway. I'm not working anyway. I'm in college. So, like, I might as well just see where this goes, you know? Just throw it out of the wall and see what happens. Like, and, and and like, the the NBA is, like, anything NBA is, like, not even in, like, the the mind frame. Like, you're not even, not even thinking about anything like that. I'm just, just like, I don't know, you know? sounds cool let me give it a shot and I was I was enjoying it for what it was you know like for me and we'll talk about J.R. Smith later but like like meeting J.R. Smith on the street or like his brother Chris Smith was like legendary moments that like like these players that were playing in Mongolia like that was cool for me like for me they were like cool I was like looking up to them so it, you know you're just thinking small at that point at least I was so so you are how old when you sell your shares in, in job ads? 19. And then what's the timeline from leaving job ads until so, you reach out yeah. to your first so, potential that's client? That's a great question. So, so when we were trans, there was like a slow transition program uh, um, process from the time I was going to leave Java ads to the point that this happened. So I actually started it while I was still doing Java ads. So like they, uh, Java ads put me on salary. And, and essentially I was at the point where I was like, they kind of like took the soul out of the company. Cause like they, they pulled me out. So like, like you just, you just got rid of like the heart and soul of this even working. And that's why, in my opinion, I, I feel like it tanked. Cause like they took the concept and ran with it, but they didn't understand like they needed me as well in order for it to really keep on going. So they got rid of me. They dumped me on salary. And at that point, I'm like, <laughs> you think I'm going to, you think I'm going to give it a hundred percent being on salary? It's quiet for that. So 
our office was on the 76th floor of the Empire State Building. I was going in there. I was working on, on the starting Hazan Sports all day. I wasn't even working on job ads anymore. So you're, so you're salaried by job ads. You're starting Hazan Sports. You reach out to these to these potential clients and telling them what exactly? I'm going to get you in the NBA. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to where you need to get to. I'm going to spend all the money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I paid a big financial price on that. I was investing in very low level players. I was, and that's why they were all, they're all giving me a chance because no one else was going to give them and invest in them like I was because everyone else was smart and I was dumb and I had no idea what I was doing. So of course everyone's like, oh, we're going to go with this guy because he's going to fly us around. He's going to put us in hotels. He's going to pay for our training when no one's even looking at us. So, um, that, that, that's what, what um, I think drew them to me. So in terms of like your first quote unquote viable client, as I'm sure they were all viable, right? Like you have faith in these guys that even though they're not getting those looks from the scouts or other agents, you're willing to take a chance on them. At what point do you realize you kind of need to step your game up? The biggest thing for me that I think was really beneficial in my success was my ability to understand where I needed to be in order to grow proportionally with where I was. And that was something that was, I think, was really helpful in my success, where it was like, I'm not sitting here and trying to recruit G League players in year one. Like, I'm not. And, and that that everything for me was incremental. And don't get me wrong. My incremental success was ridiculously quick, right? Mm-hmm. Ridiculously quick. But for me, everything was actually very slow. And, 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 you know, for me, it was like incremental in the sense of like seasons. So like the first season, right? So you have a season that starts like for overseas, it starts from September and it goes till May. So I, I started in January and the season ended in May. So that part was like, okay, get these overseas players in Mongolia. Right. And then from at the end of that season, which is three months for me, four months, I then shifted to, okay, now let's get players that have a G league Jersey on. They, they may have played there in the past and now they're not there, but you know, now it's like my, my image, my website has a person that has a G league Jersey on. He could have been in training camp and got cut, but now that's the next step from there. And that's how we slowly incrementally grew. And obviously we took some jumps along the way, but, but that, that was super important for, 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 for my, my growth was to really understand, like, you got to take it step by step. You cannot skip steps in anything you do. You have to go through the motions and you have to, you know, pay the price and, and pay your dues in order to get to the top. That's an extreme level of self-awareness to have at that young of an age and a lot of foresight and patience. And you said we. Who's we? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of people along the way that, 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 that came in and out, right? I had different partners um, that were in and out, but obviously my, my primary partner is uh, Andrew Honig, 
my best friend since first day of first grade. Um, you know, his mom dropped dropped him off at the bus stop in Manhattan. Bus never showed up. He brought me back to his house. The rest is history. We went to middle school together, high school together. We took a year off. We went to Israel together. So, you know, he's been my 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 day one, um, my day one best friend since first grade, and and uh, he's been step by step, side by side with me throughout that entire time. It's actually funny. A few years ago, like a couple years ago, it's like Shabbat Saturday. It's in the city. My boy invites me to come play ball down by the courts in uh, Stytown. In Stytown. And there's a run going on, and I see this guy. I'm like, he looks so familiar. Where do I recognize this guy from? Now, I'm already like probably post-law school like a year or two. I think I'm like in the DA's office, like it's summer or something. And I'm like, where do I know this guy from? Finally, the run breaks. Go up to him. I'm like, are you Andrew on it? It's like, yeah. How do you, like, who are you? I'm like, I don't know, Dan is on. He's like, oh, no kidding. And we started talking for a minute about basketball, obviously about you. And uh, it was so funny because like two completely independent walks of life, you know, running style town and you from law school is really funny. So, you know, you have this really unique path that you've taken to get to where you're at. And we met in law school. So how'd you get there? What prompted that? Yeah. So, um, so uh, while, while I'm, while I'm, I'm at this point, you know, of trying to grow some, some sort of agency or whatever the case may be, you know, so June rolls around. I'm done with, with college. I gotta go. I gotta go to, gotta go to law school. My mom's putting the full court press on me to go to law school, you know? And um, to be honest, like, you know, like my parents have supported me throughout everything I do and everything like that. But, you know, like my parents were very much like, very much the traditional, right? Like I'm first generation American. So everyone's dream, every parent's dream is for you to graduate from college, graduate from law school, get yourself a good paying job, just the traditional route, you know? I wasn't down for that. Like I didn't <laughs> want to take the traditional route, but at the end of the day, like I can't guarantee myself or my family that this is gonna pan out. So I'm like, you know what? I got this, I got this thing going, but who knows? I gotta go to law school. So, you know, I decided to go to 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 law school. And while that's happening, so so that summer is coming around. So so now June is coming around. We have like the NBA Summer League. And you know, we had now signed like a player who was like who has like a little something to work with, right? His name was Elijah Millsap. His brother was in the NBA. He's currently still in the NBA doing his thing. Um, and Elijah was was very much removed from the NBA. You know, at 28 years old, never played in the NBA. Was played last stop was in Israel, playing in Israel. And he was like my only guy at this point. So, you know, at this point, all the other guys, I've realized I've outgrew them, right? So I'm like, they go to the wayside. So now my focus is on him. And um so I'm like, listen, I'm going to help you get, I'm going to get you into the NBA. I'm going to get you to the NBA. There's no question about it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. 
I had no contacts. And um, we're like, okay, he signs with us. And, uh, you know, now I got to figure out how to get contacts. So I get contacts through eBay. I went on eBay. I start looking through um, some business cards, zooming in on the business cards signed by Greg Popovich and by all these guys, um, Daryl Morey, et cetera. And, you know, took the email addresses. If I wanted to reach out to Daryl Morey, I did dmorey at rocketball.com. Boom. Sent emails out and, and um, met some really good people along the way that kind of helped me expand my role deck of contacts. Next thing you know, we're getting up to the draft. Elijah Millsap has nothing to do with the draft, but uh, Philadelphia 76ers told me like, hey, we might, we might like him. We might, have a chance, we might have a spot for him in summer league. That year in the draft, they had seven, seven draft picks, you know, all part of the process with, with Hinky. So, you know, they piled up a million picks. And they called me after the draft. They said, sorry, we, we just don't have room for him. So um, summer league Talking started, direct with GMs at this point? Yeah, I'm talking uh, directly to the, to, to the assistant GM. And, um, but Philly was playing in two summer leagues. So at the time there used to be two summer leagues. It was one in Orlando and then and one, one in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. So the one in Orlando was like five, six teams. And the one in Vegas had everybody. Um, so, but Philly was playing in both. So, um, I'm watching Orlando summer league, Philly's playing Pierre Jackson tears his Achilles. I text the assistant GM. I'm like, Hey, listen, sorry to hear about Pierre, but if you guys need another spot, let me know. Lo and behold, a day later, they're like, we're going to bring Elijah into Summer League. So Elijah goes into Summer League. Summer League's in July. He goes out there. He kills. He sets the record for steals in, in a Summer League game. He had seven steals. They're shutting down Dante Exum, who was like a top five pick by yeah, the Utah. Yeah, he was top five. He went to Utah? Utah. Yeah, he was in Utah. He shut him down, was picking his shit left and right. And from there, we were on the up and up. So. Now summer league's over. Now so we got to get into training camp. So training camp, you know, that starts like September, October time. But now I'm in law school. <laughs> so now I'm in law school and like things are like, so. Um, and just to be clear, this is like your first time that you're getting a client this far in the process. Have you um, been this deep in the process in terms of like training no, camp? And, no, zero. So this is like zero, your first zero. interaction with this. this That's crazy. Zero. I have That's no, crazy. I have no nothing with any of this. This is all new news to me. I don't know how any of this even works, to be honest with you. Nuts. And and by the way, backtracking a little bit, I got I was like the only agent aside from me and Jay-Z that didn't even have a college degree at the time when I got my 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 MBA license, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I'm driving to law school and and we went to school in Bumblefuck Islip. So You're telling me I live there. <laughs> yeah, you live there, but I had I drove from the city every day, like 57 oh, wow. miles every yeah. day. Oh, my One day I'm driving and I get a call from Milwaukee. And they tell me they're going to bring him into training camp. He's going to compete for a spot. And that was that, you know, like, and, and, and he, he, you know, obviously we're like, okay, let's do it. And I remember I was in law school and that thing came out on real GM. 
I think you may have you you think you may have may have looked. Uh, you were like, I don't even know the exact story. Maybe like uh, like they would say Daniel Hazan, and I would say here yeah. or something. I, I still I yeah yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, you know, at that point, he goes to training camp, and then, you know, the that. So that's intertwined with law school. So at that point, when that when I start law school, I'm like, oh my god, I'm I'm doing this. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not even like six months into this. There are people who literally work in this business for thirty or forty years and never have an NBA player in training camp. I'm not wow. talking about a contract. Don't have a player in training camp. Like I could, I've had a player in the NBA every year since I became an agent, like wow. I, I hold my hat on that. Like I had a plan in the NBA every year from day one, day one. Hell yeah. Crazy. So like you're navigating this space completely blind. They're calling your name in contracts class and yep. you're like, Oh, I'm here. And I remember you're like running out to the bathroom to take phone calls every five minutes. Yeah. And- you thought I had a bladder problem. <laughs> and walking around the school like he owned the place and to your credit man like you had two legs to stand on you've already got one multi-million dollar venture under your belt and now you're blindly figuring out what to do in order to make it as an agent in the nba and you're not even halfway through your first semester in law school so how do you go about giving yourself the con like the the state of mind where where's your head at in terms of how am i going to do this and what are the steps i need to take in order to get there and where am i trying to go yeah so i mean at that point you're just now it starts turning into a drug so like Hmm. you start you start seeing like your name is on real gm like that was cool by the way i still remember though it still shows up by the way yeah i'm like i'm like like that was crazy. Like real GM was a big deal back in the day for us. Like we would go. What is what is real GM? Let's just give some of the novice listeners a bit real of uh, context. A website that like like has like all all the new NBA news of the day. Like you know, on the day to day, you'll get all the breaking new, news. Breaking news. If you want to check st- stats, if you want to see a player and who represents the player, if you want to see where a player is currently playing, anything you want to know about a player or an agent or anything like that, you could find it. So. I'm at the top of the news. Like Elijah Millsap signs a training camp deal and and his agent Daniel Zahn tells Real GM, but like, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, even till today, like when Woj like breaks like w- breaks something and puts my name in there, like, you know, it's, so it's cool. great. It's so cool. You know, you're like I have people sending me screenshots of their phones, like they get a notification, like like these notifications, everyone's like has Woj's no- notification. So it's like you know it's crazy to like you know see your name up there but um i see it too man i'm so proud every time i'm like that's my guy i'm because <laughs> um, just yeah. side note you know brendan kaminsky yeah uh espn yeah he does his own thing now um be known agency but he i know he still works with Stephen a smith and such but you know your name came up when i when i connected with him i met him and... all-star weekend i met him all-star weekend because he worked years. with Woj. Yeah, yeah yeah he worked with Woj. he worked with Stephen a closely um but yeah no back to your thing about uh navigating through it i mean at that point the confidence level is like through the roof like at that point 
a couple weeks into law school, I know like this is what, like this is what this is. I'm doing it. I'm I'm pulling this off. Like there's there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. But um, you know, he got cut from training camp, and you know we had to make decisions at that point. They kept Jabari Parker over him, and it was like you know what do you do? Do you go overseas, give up on the NBA dream, or you keep on fighting? So we kept on fighting, and then um, you know January first. So what is that? End of first semester. This guy signs a ten day contract, got another ten day contract, and then a three year deal with the Utah Jazz. So, um, a lot, you know, if, if at the time it feels very slow, but once once that for, like once that first client pops, like it's a domino effect, and then at that point it's just you're good, you're good. You you break through once you break through that that breakthrough with that first player you got credibility you're walking into meetings recruiting it's crazy you know it's crazy but uh, you know along with that comes comes low points and a lot of challenges along the way but you know it's part it's part of the business you know I have so, I have a memory I have a memory when I was in law school after I got Elijah Millsap signed I started recruiting for the draft dude I had Josh Richardson crying to me on the phone crying to me on the phone like i really want to i really want to go with you but i got to go with bill duffy like big eight like crying like to his dad gosh like like that's my guy like and i like i helped this kid get through school like you know what i mean like i was there by his corner i'm i was we were talking like i'm in law school i'm in the building bro Talking to Josh every day. It was crazy. He's still in the NBA, Josh, right? Yeah. He paid. Yeah, got paid. Focusing on your other clientele, it ranges not just from who you represent as an agent, but also who you manage. Yeah. I know J.R. Smith and you are tight. Same with his brother. Yeah. So... I mean, like Jr. for me was like that. That took me to a whole other spectrum. So, you know, like 2016, I met his brother Chris. We built we built a really good relationship. Chris played in the NBA uh, with the Knicks. These are guys that I used to, you know, the green awning outside of the garden. I used to wait for them to come out. I would chase them down the block. Like Jr. would pull out in one white range. Chris pull out another right range. I'd meet them at the light and ask for an autograph. A year or two later, I'm out here like representing and managing like both of them. It was insane. So, um, you know, we really felt like we could really help, help JR build his brand and, and run all his off the court stuff and marketing and this and that. And he gave us a shot and we got lucky, you know, we caught him at the right time when they won the championship crazy experience for me just like being in the house like before game five like facing elimination you know down three one like no one's talking in the house he's up in his room like no one's talking whatever after game five I remember we came back to the house he's like we're, we're winning this shit like we're coming back just being able to be a part of that um and going to these finals games and helping build his brand when he won the championship. And we did so many things, whether emojis and 
different uh, emoji apps and, and different uh, marketing opportunities and all this crazy stuff that we were, we were having him do. Um, that really like solidified, like we could get anybody. We could do any of this. We could do this. And, and, and again, it's all part of just slowly, slowly, but surely just chipping at it, chipping, 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 chipping. Right. So, you know, you get your first player in training camp, you know, you get your first player in summer league, you get your first player in training camp, you get your first player in the NBA. Now you got a bigger player. You're doing marketing deals for him and blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing was we need to get a draft pick, you know? I represented players that were in the NBA, but I didn't get them drafted. I wasn't their agent at the time that they were getting drafted. So mm -hmm. just always trying to take a step forward, trying to step, take a step forward. And JROJR was a huge step for us. Huge, huge. Cause it's just, it's a guy that everyone knows. So being, being able to run his foundation and do events and casino night and golf outings. And it was all part of us being able to build our portfolio of, of things that we've been able to succeed at and that opened up doors for, for more opportunities. So as you identify those opportunities, what are some things that you look for? So those change over the course of time, right? So when you're first starting, you're just looking for talent, right? You're looking for talent. You think that talent is what is it drives success. But then as you continue to grow and understand, you realize talent is 20% of the, the success. It's 80% mental. So if you, I could tell you right now, I can name you five guys that could be in the NBA right now making over $100 million that are not because they don't have it here. They don't have the mental capacity to understand, right? Um, the mental capacity to control the, their emotions, to behave, and, and to to, to, to quote unquote, play the game that you got to play in order to be successful here. You know, we always talk about certain guys like who are in the league, like that were in the league that, you know, we laugh about, like, how are they even there? Like guys like Ron Baker, like how is he getting four or $5 million a year playing in the NBA? Like people <laughs> actually really question that. Like, and there's a lot of guys like that, but these are guys that have it over here. Mm -hmm. Right. Like teams understand, like if you're the one of the, towards the end of the roster spot, like they want guys who are going to be good, good supporters on the bench that are going to bust their ass in practice that are going to be okay. Not getting a five games DNP, not playing. So it's not always who's the most talented that gets the opportunities to play at the highest level. So that's how you, you know, I, you start identifying guys like that based off talent and you start transitioning and you're like, okay, it's not always about talent. It's about, and then you start looking at potential, right? So when I'm recruiting college players, at first you're looking at, okay, who's scoring the most, who's producing the most, who's X, Y, and Z. And it's not always, it's not about that. It's about who's got the upside, who's younger, who's got more potential, you know, may not be producing at this level now, but could be a star. Guys like Devin Booker, we're in Kentucky averaging seven, eight points a game. This guy's dropping 50 in the league right now. Yeah. So it's not always about who's leading the league in, in scoring. Or who's leading the NCAA? Who's leading the conference that's going? No. It's about who's got the upside, who's young, who's up and coming, and who can develop into something in the future. So, you know, as, as you can understand, like, the thought process changes, right? And you look at a guy, 
you know, a couple years ago, we had Quindary Weatherspoon. This is actually draft night, and that's a jersey. Um, who, you know, led the SEC in every category and was averaging 20 points a game, blah, blah, He's He's drafted 49th overall. But then you take a guy like Trey Mann, who this year was drafted 18th overall, and he wasn't like the scoring machine. Massive congrats, by the way, in person. I know. <laughs> he wasn't like the big, you know, killing the league, you know, in scoring and all that stuff, whatever. But he had the upside, right? He had – he was the young kid that – you just look at his game and you're like, oh my God, in a couple of years, you're going to be a star. So, um, you know, you, you, it's all part of learning. Um, you know, you think, you know, a lot about basketball. We all think we know a lot about basketball, but then when you get into the business, you really, I, I realized like I didn't know anything. So I really had to, to, to take a step back and like learn and educate myself and, you know, get guidance as to how to really, really do this and make money doing it. We're going to get into more of your clientele, but there's something I want to address that I think underrated really informs your ability to get things done. You're a global brand. Now, you have had players in Israel, Mongolia, all over the world. How do you find that that has informed your ability to represent talent in the NBA? So, I mean, first of all, I got to say that this basketball has taken me all over the world. Um, it's given me opportunities to see things and experience things in a way that most people will never, ever be able to experience. I'm so thankful for this basketball for allowing me to do that. Um, I mean, you know, I have players, like you said, play all over the world. So from China to Italy to Latin America to all over um, uh, Europe, the Middle East for crying out loud, Egypt, Iran. I've had people who have started chants against me, against my player because their agent is Jewish, Israeli, and they're playing in Egypt and they should never allow a, a, a Zionist to, you know, to, to, to bring a player to, to a Middle Eastern country and negotiate the biggest contract in the history of the league. I've gone through all of that and it's, it's been a lot, a huge blessing. Um, but, you know, going, going, going across, um, across the water, like we call it, you're looking for different kinds of talent because that game is played completely differently. Um, you know, you go now, you look at the NBA positionless basketball, you're seeing guys who, who you're seeing units that are being played with LeBron at the five right? You see Draymond Green at the five, right? Back in the 90s, they'd have to go up against Shaq in today's day and age. It's different. In the NBA, if you're a one, two, three, four, five, if you can't shoot, you don't have a place in this league. I can count on one hand big men that cannot shoot. And even the ones that cannot shoot can still shoot a little bit, right? Yeah. The guys that could shoot, Jokic, you look at um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Nurkic, you look at um, Miles Turner. I mean, we could fly through the list of guys. They right? were on the same team at one point. Right. Nurkic. <laughs> and then you look, you look at guys that you look at guys that can't really shoot too, too much. You see guys like Dwight Howard, Nerlens Noel. I mean, it's just like, 
like, if you can't shoot, you don't, there's no back to the basket guys, post and toast. You don't have that Carl Malone shit and, and, and uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. No, if you can't pop out and spread the floor, it won't work. Mm-hmm. You go to Europe, it's a whole different story. Seven footers, back to the basket guys. We're going to feed it to the big all day. It's a whole different landscape of thing uh, of basketball. So in today's day and age, you know, you have to, you're, you may not fit a certain system. You're talking about a system where in the NBA, you have, you know, three seconds. So that forces guys out of the paint, creates more spacing, more opportunity. You beat one man off, you beat your guy off the dribble. You get the big to come in. Now you start, you can start laying it up, passing it. You opens up a whole spread of things. You go to Europe, no three seconds. Everyone's parked in the paint. Good luck getting in there. Mm-hmm. Good luck getting in there. It's going to be tough. And that's why people say playing in Europe is harder than playing in the NBA. And there's no doubt about that. So um, it's a whole different focus as to like, from, from a talent perspective, like what you're looking for, just because you played in the NBA, it doesn't mean your game is going to translate to the European level. And sadly enough, a lot of guys have had a hard time understanding that it's, you're not going to come into Europe and because you played in the NBA, you're going to destroy this league. It's just not going to happen. So as you look towards the future and, you know, it's a big deal to get a draft pick and you had not one, but at least two, right? Weatherspoon and now man, second round and now first round. What are you looking to accomplish with this man? Yeah. So, you know, at that point you're like, you know, like I said, we, we always have dreams, right? So, you know, it started off with, I want to have a player playing in Aria in our hometown, you know, I've had multiple players playing in Aria. I currently have a player that's playing in Aria. So I was able to check that off. And, you know, you want to have a player playing on the Knicks. I was able to check that off. I had client drop 17 in the garden. I was there like, whoo, like, you know. And um, then you want to have your draft pick. I wanted to have a draft pick and, and you got a second rounder and now you're itching to get another one, right? And the biggest thing is continuity right? You got to put your foot to the metal and keep on pushing. And I wasn't saying I was striving for a first rounder. I really wanted, like, I wanted to prove to myself that it wasn't a fluke. Hmm. Like, like, like prove to myself, like this wasn't an accident and was able to do it again. Got the 18th overall pick and, and like, that was like, wow, you know? And, and those aren't moments that you're really able to replicate so often, right? You got to understand, like, the top three or four agencies control, like, 85% of the, of the league and 85% of the draft. So you got agencies that have 12 or 15 out of the 60 picks. So, you know, if you could just get one, let alone in the first round, you know, it's a success. So, you know, with that, you just want continuity. You know, you want continuity. I have multiple players. I have four players in the NBA right now. So, you know, at the same time, while you're still focusing on trying to get another draft pick, you all I'm doing, you're just planting seeds for guys where you really want to negotiate a bigger contract, right? Like, you know, you don't want the minimum deals anymore. Now you want, 
you hope like one of those four guys pans out into something bigger, you know? So, you know, we have guys like Trevlin Queen who, you know, he went undrafted, um, but now he's in the NBA and like, you know, he's coming up on free agency at the end of this year. And, you know, you want to get like a bigger deal. And so the exciting stuff is that there's all, there's so much going on at the same time, right? When you're representing 20 clients, like, you have so many moving pieces. You're dealing with recruiting for the draft. You're dealing with your current NBA players. You're dealing with, right, you're, you may have some G League. I had a G League players. I had um, a G League player that was in the G League. I had to get him to the NBA, so he signed with the Phoenix Suns. So you're dealing with that, your G League players. You're dealing with your overseas players, trying to advance them. You got super high-level overseas players that, you know, you're trying to get to the EuroLeague. Um, making millions going to China, making millions. So then you have your low level guys that you're, you're, you, you have faith in that you're just trying to build them up to get to a high level. So it's like, there's so many things throughout the day that are like, you know, people ask me like, what's a day in the life? It's a mess. But it's like, you know, today I spent from 12 to four, I was watching clients that are playing in Israel, clients that are playing in Greece, clients you know you're tracking all the stats you got to talk to them you got to watch the game blah, blah blah and now we're coming on the nightcap you got the nba games tonight yeah you got the college games you got the nba games you got things going on so um it, it's it's a lot which makes it exciting and it just keeps keeps you busy throughout the whole year so as you look towards the next chapter of this venture that you have embarked upon what are some pieces of advice that you can offer aspiring kids in law school right now or college who are sitting in their rooms studying for the LSAT or trying to get in touch with an agency? Should they go out on their own? Should they get experience? Where do you think they should start, man? Well, you know, to be honest, like, and I'm, and I'm being honest, like, I, I feel like I've made it look a lot, really easy for a lot of folks. And unfortunately, I've seen, credit, a lot of, man. I've seen a lot of kids try and do this and they've just kind of like fallen off. Um, and to work for like, to get an internship for like a big agency is like nearly impossible. Yeah. You know, and even if someone does do like, they don't even really get like much of an opportunity to really learn or do anything. Um, it's a very, 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 very difficult space to get into. But at the end of the day, everything in life is difficult, right? If it, if, if it wasn't difficult, like everyone would be successful. Everyone would be making a lot of money. And it really just comes down to de determination because I had a million reasons to give up a million, you know, I, I mean, I, I, you know, people don't, don't know this, but I had a player on the New Orleans Pelicans and I went to the game to watch my client on the New Orleans Pelicans play against Orlando Magic. And I didn't have money to stay in a hotel. Like I slept in the airport. So I, they gave me a, they gave out a breast cancer pink shirt. Like that was my pillow for the night. I still look at that picture as motivation. Like, so, you know, like if you think like I had it easy, like, like, no, everyone's got, like, everyone's got it wrong. Like, I've given my last dollars to clients because I had to, like, I had to maintain a certain image 
I had nothing. I had zero. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging. But at the end of the day, like, if I did it, anyone could do it. And you know me better than anyone else, like, in the sense that I wasn't a good student. Like, <laughs> I was a moron. You know, what I mean? like, you know, like, you were the smart kid that, like, got studied and, like, you know, you did your thing. You were killing it. Like, you know, you'd be with your, like, headphone. You don't want to talk to anyone. Like, you were focused on, like, zoning on doing what you were supposed to do. You had a little group, group stuff, you know, you lived up in school, like by the school. So, you know, you were zoned in on accomplishing Focus, your dream. Man. And I'm, I think you, tra- you know, transferred to better school and, 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 and did you, or, or you stayed there throughout? I stayed at Toro, man. I did a four-year JD MBA program. So this way I could bring up the level. Of the there we go. Like so you, 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 you were the man, you were the man and I was a moron, right? So, um, like, so if not I could contracts, it, not in contracts. If, if everyone could do it, if everyone could do it, you could, you know, I could do it. Um, anyone else could do it. So um, that was just my mentality throughout. And that's my message to everyone else. Like it really just comes down to the ter- determination and how badly you really want to do it. Um, and, and, and that, that's, you know, those big moments where you have to make decisions, like is what separates, um, you know, your success. So um, if you, you know, I'm someone, I, I knew myself, I knew I was someone that I couldn't work for anybody. I wanted, I had to work for myself. You know, I wanted to build my brand, me. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to make, I don't want to make anyone else money. I want to make myself money. And I've had opportunities right now to work with the biggest agencies and to, to, you know, advance, you know, myself in that regard. And trust me, if I go into a meeting and I say, I represent, uh, my agency represents Chris Paul, Carmelo, uh, this guy and that, you think I'm not going to get even better players? trying to build it my way and you know something like for me like that's been really rewarding like is that they come out with like the 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 best rank the top ranked agents and since since the day it started I was always like I was always on the list which was huge success because I had to play in the NBA so I was always on the list you know but I was always like one of the last guys like I was like 117 ranked 117 like 127 out of 127 Let's not get it twisted. There's thousands of agents, thousands. So to be on that list is already like, holy shit, right? Like to be last on that list, you're like, I'm like 1%. I'm at the top 1% of every, you know, this whole business. But it was awesome this year. Like I got into the top 50 and and my agency got into the top 50. Dude, congrats. That's massive. I mean, that's like, that's a big success. And I'm not, and I'm not done yet. I'm trying to be top five. How old are you? I'm 30. My man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um just trying to grow every day and 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 without a doubt, I believe anyone could do it if you just lock in and focused on it. Man, that'd be such a great way to end the episode, but I got like one more question for you, bro. Sure, sure, sure. When you approach a negotiation and you feel you don't have leverage, how do you identify the opportunity that allows you to strike and thrive even though you feel disadvantaged wow so it's a great question because i'm not gonna lie to you up until just a couple years ago i was getting dogged on every deal you know dogged and 
I was talking to one of my clients yesterday and you have to realize like in this business, we're like, like, what do we call it? Like the hamster in the wheel. Mm-hmm. And like, you're trying to get out of the wheel. You're not trying to stay there. You're trying to get out and it's just almost impossible. So the kind of guys that I've been, I've been having is like, how, am, what kind of leverage do I have when a team calls and say, we want to call up this player from the G League? He's going to literally be number 15 on the roster, right? Like he's just joining the team. He's looking for any opportunity. What leverage do I have? Like what leverage do I have? Aside from the fact that I have never done this before and I had no experience, like what leverage do, do you really have? Um, and it's a tough, it's, it, it was really tough for me because, you know, I had guys like Mark Cuban tell me, let me tell you, I got 65,000 players that would want this opportunity, take it or leave it. Like, I don't need your guy. Like, you get what I'm saying? I don't need him. Like, he hasn't done any, like, who is he at the end of the day? Like, I'm not going to lose sleep over him. And, and it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation because it's like, you really, your hands are tied. Your hands are super tied and you're just trying to do something to try and figure out a way to win and this and that where it's difficult. But now it's like the power you have ends up really being in the success you have as an agent. Because now when you are successful and you are breeding players and you're getting good players, now you have more leverage. So now this guy may not be worth it, but you do wrong by me, you'll never see a player ever again. You'll never, when pre-draft comes around around and you want to work this guy out and you may want to draft him, he's not entering your gym because of how you handled the situation in the past with me. So that's where the leverage comes in the sense where it's like the clear and obvious leverage is talent, right? When you're talented, you're going to be able to have leverage because you have a lot of teams. But when you're like pushing certain guys, the leverage is on you. You are you. I, Daniel, I am the leverage. Where to, to a point where I could be like, yo, listen, you don't know this guy or you don't like this guy, but do me a favor, give him a shot. And I'm going to, we call it the politics. And that's where the politics will give opportunities to guys or the politics will be able to squeeze certain guys. And that's what happens when you have I got drafted 18th overall, the case may be, where it's like, hey, Dan, do me a favor. Can, can we get this guy in the gym? And by the way, if you need anything else, just let us know. So that comes with time and being able to actually pay your dues in the sense where you, you show the league, like, I'm for real. Like, you don't want to mess with me. Because at the end of the day, like, I'm going to be doing this for the next, like, 40 years. Like, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not the old geezer. Like I, I'm, I'm the young cat. And, and I think that's what helped me really advance. And people respected that and understood that, like, I was someone that was here to stay and like to stay for a while. So um, the leverage had, you know, changed, changed o- over time. And, and what's so crazy is when I was younger, so many guys that were nowhere are now in even higher positions. These are people that I grew with. Sure. I grew, grew up, you know, I grew up, in this business alongside them and and you know these relationships is is what gives you the opportunity to ultimately um you know get a little bit more leverage and 
the more experienced you are, the more comfortable you are where you're not even scared, you know? You're not even scared anymore to face these guys. In the past, I was, I'm not letting a deal slip. What? Guy, I'm about to have my first client in the NBA. I'm about to have my second client in the NBA, third client in the NBA. Whatever you want. You want him to play for free? That's cool. You know, like that, that that's a mentality. You know, that was my mentality from the beginning. I'm not going to lie. You said it best. You are for real. And I can attest to it because I've seen it firsthand, whether it was walking out of class to go take a phone call or needing to hop on a flight to another country in order to get some work done. You show up, you've made a name for yourself. You're not an accident, man. You've done it too many times at this point to be considered an accident. You got so much more ahead of you following your journey seeing where you're at, how far you've come since I met you when I guess you were just five minutes into this whole thing. And all these years later, you got back-to-back years of draft picks. There's only, there is no cap on what you're about to accomplish, man. And I love seeing, I wish it for you. Continued success, man. Keep scaling it. Where can people find you? Yeah, so I mean, you know, you guys can find me on on social media platforms, Hazan Sports MGMT, uh, HazanSports.com. Anyone who wants to reach out to me, they can just hit my boy up. He'll give it my info, my email, whatever the case may be. I don't mind, uh, you know, being a source of motivation and and um, you know, a source of information for anyone that that's looking to be successful um, in in whatever aspect it may be. Um, no, I really appreciate the opportunity to coming on here. Um, you know, honestly, I, I like I said, I didn't, I didn't really have many friends when I was in school. So, um, you know, I was so zoned in, but I, I, I had, you know, I had a friend uh, in John that like loved ball and, and I loved ball. We had a lot of, a lot of um, similarities uh, with our background and, and, you know, you're, you're a friend for life. So appreciate you having me on here. Um, and looking forward to, to getting back on here in the near future and updating you guys on my latest success. Wishing it for you, man. Thank you, bro. Such a pleasure. Everyone, my friend, the talented and famous, and I see why a little bit infamous too, Daniel Hazan. Experience is one of life's greatest teachers. Learning from not only your own, but the experience of others. Because that can be a springboard to push you over a plateau or even get something going. Success leaves a trail behind it, a blueprint. Anytime I'm in a funk, I try to focus on where I'm at. It's so simple, but it's literally the hardest thing to do. And anytime I do focus, I try to give myself credit. Why? Small win. At the same time, when I focus on where I'm at, those are the moments where my best ideas flow to me. When I started this show, I set the goal of 10 episodes. That may not necessarily be a lot to you as the listener, but for me, I kept my word to myself. That gives me credibility with myself. Now, I'm at 12 episodes interviewing entrepreneurs, athletes, executives, doctors, and there's so much more to come. I get to decide who I want to be in each moment, every moment. And today, on February 9th, 2022, I turned 32 years old. I think about who I want to be in this current moment, and right now, that's to be the best host that I can for you, the audience. The next moment, that can be me trying to be the best attorney I can be, and the next, 
the best athlete I can be for training my mind and my body or anything else that I ask of myself. The first time I heard a podcast episode, I thought about how much I'd love to be on the mic asking meaningful questions. Now, a few years after that initial thought, here I am releasing an episode with an NBA agent. I constantly remind myself I'm responsible for my happiness. Today I'm happy because taking control of my future means recognizing I get to choose my path. And I choose to ask questions, to learn, to be curious, to be intentional, because it's all about how you can make the world a better place and hopefully this is contributing to that in some way. I want to thank you for tuning into this episode. I appreciate your time and attention as always. And if you got something out of this episode, please rate, review, share it with a friend, and of course, subscribe if you haven't already. That's all for this episode. So until next time, stay safe, stay strong, stay mindful.